Welcome to the Assurology Show, a growth hacker's guide to human capital management with your host, Mike Vinoy. Each week, we bring you experts in human resources, employment law, accounting, benefits planning, and more to build productive organizations. You'll gain practical guidance for your business. You'll be alerted to the latest news and megatrends that impact small and mid-sized companies. We'll give you the hands-on information you need to stay compliant with ever-changing employment laws, the strategies you need to win the war for talent, and much more. So you can focus on what you do best, growing your business. Enjoy the show. Best practices to write a compliant job offer. Hi, I'm Mike Fenoy with Assure. And this is one of those things that, you know, we talk about compliance, we talk about HR law. This is almost an oxymoron kind of a title because there is no legal requirement to even have job offers, uh, written job offers, let alone what's contained within them. But we see employers get in trouble every day from either not doing them, bad expectations, or putting bad stuff in them. So we really want to make sure that everyone understands the best practice and what they should and shouldn't be doing. So we've got the perfect guest for this. If you're a regular attendee of the show, you know Mary Simmons. Mary is our Vice President of HR Compliance at Assure. Uh, she's a SHRM certified professional. And for the last eight years, Mary has been an adjunct professor at the New York Institute of Technology. Prior to Assure, Mary was the Director of HR Consulting for a 58-year-old HR consulting firm in New York. Welcome back to the show, Mary. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. All right. So when a lot of people know about the survey, the HR, small business HR benchmark report we did with the survey of over 2,000 small businesses, and this was one of the topics we discussed, right? And so I'm going to cite from the, from the study. So over 2,000 small businesses revealed that one in three companies that failed to grow, so these are the down year firms, they don't send written job offers that include pay rate, pay frequency, leave benefits, and at-will employment. But 83% of fast growth companies do. So this is one of those areas, this is one of the questions that really popped out that the fast growth companies, they do this well, and the down year companies, not so much, right? And so it may not be a perfect correlation. We realize you can do HR perfectly and still have a rough year for any number of reasons, and HR doesn't guarantee success but this is one of those clear questions that the highest performing, fastest growing companies in the United States, they do this right. And the companies that are shrinking on average don't. So maybe, Mary, can you just before we start talking, what do you put in? What do you don't put in? Just comment on this, that it's not legally required. But why should we do this? Yeah, so that's that's a really good point. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It, look, we always talk about the war on talent. So number one, this gives a very professional appearance to your candidates, um, you know, soon to be new hires. And look, if I was applying for a job and one organization is like, yeah, yeah, just come in on Monday, you know, I'll see you then. Maybe mention the salary, but I'm not really sure what it is, um, you know, and, and other details. And, they, and another company gave me this beautiful offer letter. I think I'm going to go with the company who gave me the offer letter. They seem more organized, right? They seem um, like they really want me to work for them. Um, and that's going to be a differentiator for, you know, the candidates that we have. 
I think beyond that, we always want to set expectations, right? So you want to tell people right up front um, some of the key things about their employment. Even if you said what their benefits are, you know, people are nervous when you give the job offer. They might not be taking notes, et cetera. Yeah. They might, you know, I've had employers have people, you know, come to onboarding and go to sign up for the benefits or have the benefits explained to them and then go, wait a minute, it's that much money. I'm not, I'm not joining. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so a lot can be missed when you make that verbal job offer, set expectations, show that you're a professional organization. It's just very important to have, you know, this great, you know, we talked about a strategic HR function in in past conversations. This is strategic. This sets you up like a professional organization and gets that employee to understand all that they're going to get as a new employee. Mary, sometimes I think we forget that as as a boss or an employer, We've probably hired people many times in our careers, right? I mean, right. certainly there's a early days that you, it's the first few times you do it. But after a while, that if you've been a business owner for a number of years, you know, people come and go and you've probably hired lots of people. We forget that the average employee, I mean, an employee who stays in a job for call it three, four, five years, that they may only do this two or three or four times in their entire lifetime, their entire career. We have a lot of repetitions at offering jobs and think, and so we think we're great at explaining everything. But on the other side of the table, if this is only the third job they've had in the last decade, this is new to them, right? So like you said, whether they're nervous or not taking good notes or don't know, they just might not even know the questions to ask until after they verbally have agreed. And then that's the weekend is like, Wait a minute. Where do I show up? And what, do I do? what was it about the benefits? And what job did I do? All those, all these questions, and I'm like, well, I never thought to ask about that, right? Right. So, right. If, if for nothing else, it's just good communication, and you, yeah. you and I talk about this all the time about just yeah. how important communication is, right? I think one thing I would add, Mike, um, and I know this happened at an unnamed bank that I used to work at, is the last conversation they may have had may have been with a department person versus an HR, somebody that's in HR. And that person, you know, could have guessed at some of the information. Well, I think the benefits are this, or I think the salary is this. And, you know, given out some wrong information, right? So this should be controlled by the people who really have the information so that it is 100% correct. That's right. That's right. And I'll, I'll go so far as to say that that's why you should have somebody either from HR. And if you don't have an HR department, somebody that represents the HR uh, perspective to, to set these kinds of expectations. I mean, I, I, I've had um, dozens of people over the years ask me during an interview, hey, so what about your benefits? I'm like, I don't know. I go to the doctor once every five years. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about my own insurance just because I don't exercise it. Right. I'm like, let me have you talk to the person who actually is going to answer your questions intelligently. Right. So it's important to leverage the resources so they get the right information. Agreed. Anything else you want to say on the importance and why you should even have an offer letter, have it written uh, before we kind of jump into the do's and don'ts. I think, I think once we start getting into the details, I think it'll be pretty clear. 
Maybe maybe a bridge question, because I think it will yeah. apply to a do or don't. Does it have to be paper? Does it have to be a letter? Can it be an email? What, what what are your what's your guidance on on the medium in which you deliver this offer letter? I mean, I don't think anybody's using snail mail right now, um, but um, I guess there are some industries. Maybe a high service industry might say, "Hey, we send you know thank you notes out um, through U.S. mail, a hard copy um, to individuals." But uh, you know, for time um, and assurance that that the individual gets it. I think the majority of these are being sent out through email with an e-signature on them. Um, yeah. I think in rare instances, it's sent out through email, asked to be printed out and then signed and sent back. I'm all about making it really easy for your candidates. Um, I had, you know, somebody reach out the other day uh, and, and say to me, have you ever, can you help me apply through this system? Anything you make hard for a candidate, they're just gonna walk away because there's so many other positions out there. They're gonna go, that's too hard. Or, you know, I don't understand that, et cetera. So for my money, I would do email with it, reader receipt and e-signature yeah. to make it super easy for your candidates. And I know some of our small businesses may not have that capability so they can simply email it and ask them to print it and bring the signed copy with them yeah. you know whatever makes sense for your organization um, but i think you want to get it out in a timely manner and, and i and i realized uh so, so like we're a geographically dispersed company we are you yes. know, digital first right so it's, it might even sound like a silly question to, to somebody in a company like ours but I mean, you know, my, my, my wife's work, it's a brick and mortar. People show up face to face for an interview. They perform the work. It is not a, it's not an industry. You can work virtual and there is an expectation of paper. And I think the people that are probably the people who send good offer letters today, they're maybe watching this show, wanting some best practices, what to include, not include. I think others attending today, it's like, that just the word letter, it's an offer letter. Well, okay, it's a Word doc <laughs> or a, that you perhaps put yeah. in a PDF and send an email. I, I just yes. want everybody to understand, it's just a way to document communication and expectation setting. Is that fair? I love that. That's that's so perfect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's jump into it then, Mary. Let's, uh, yeah. what should, and maybe I think it's easier almost to start with what not to put in a letter because I think that's probably where folks get in trouble more often. You are so right. So I'm going to tell you some stories cause you know, I've got lots. Yeah. So I will tell you um, that we were supporting an employer unbeknownst to us. You know, we just started with them. They had been sending offer letters that said, we can't wait for you to stay with us forever. Mike, this is a family and you'll be here forever. Now, yeah. on the outside of that, it sounds like a lovely culture and an organization yeah. that you may want to join. Unfortunately, shortly um, after a new employee got that offer letter, um, they were put on a PIP and shortly after that terminated. And then they took that offer letter to uh, an employment attorney and said, but they said I'd be employed forever. Yeah. Yeah. And they 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 had to cough up some money. 
Okay. So really, you know, I love a culturally fit comment to be included in that offer letter. Please don't make any promises on that offer letter of how long employment is going to be. You just don't know. Um, You should add an at will statement that um, it's at will. Now, there are some employee relationships that are not at will. So obviously, for those, we would not um, add that. And I always add that this does not constitute um, an employment contract. So at will and not a contract. Now, I also recognize that for some employers for maybe a C-suite position, you may give a employment contract. That's separate. We're not talking about an employment contract and we're not talking about positions that are not at will. But for the majority of our listeners, I'm pretty sure um, that they have at will employment and you want to add that this does not constitute um, a contract of employment. I want to dwell, I'll spend a bunch of time on both those topics separately because I think those are the biggies. Is there anything else that you want to like checklist what not to include in there before we go deep on those two topics? Sure. We got we kind of got a long list because, you know, and and anybody could look this up, but I got the stories to go with it. So you don't want to state compensation in annual terms. So let's say I was hiring you for forty thousand dollars a year. If I state it as such, you will earn forty thousand dollars a year. We had another employer who was doing that. Um, and again, had had that individual leave. Now that this second individual left of their own accord and said, you said I'd get $40,000 a year, even though I'm leaving, where's my 40,000? Hmm. Now they settled, but they didn't get out of that situation free. So be very careful about how you state the compensation. Yeah. And I know that I get on my soapbox and talk about, you know, uh, paying people properly, but please know how to pay that person before you create this offer letter, right? Because I have a lot of employers that'll say to me, well, I just pay everybody's salary. That's what they want. Well, they don't get to decide. The Fair Labor Standards Act gets to decide. I'll get off that soapbox. But the, the main message here is if they're getting paid salary, you could put something like stated stated as such for a matter of convenience, or you could give that out that annual rate in a weekly salary. Um, and if they're hourly, you would say this is your hourly pay. So make that clear how they're getting paid, um, and that it is they're not getting forty thousand dollars a year. So, so you and I did a, a whole one-hour show just on exempt, non-exempt classification according to the Fair Labor Standards Act. Go hop online, uh, check out our website, and, and watch that. If you don't know it, it's really important that you understand that. Mary, I, I really understand. Quite, quite literally, today it was earlier today. I was talking to a small business owner, and they were facing this exact same issue, looking to hire someone. And psychologically, they were wanting to convey it. It's, it was about that same dollar amount you're talking about. So, uh, this is a forty thousand dollar a year job, but yeah. by FLSA standards, it's it's uh, it's an, it's 
a non-exempt position. So it's going to be paid hourly. And I was talking to them. I'm like, so you're going to need to express this as hourly. And I could just feel the consternation. It's like they wanted to set the expectation that, hey, you're going to earn about this much money. They, they understand legally why they need to pay hourly. But what guidance would you give people? I think I just heard you say you could say an, an, on an annualized basis that would equal. But I, I, I think the real guidance is to only express the hourly. Am I, am I saying that right? Yeah, I, I think I'd st- let them do their own math. right so if they're being paid hourly you will be paid an hourly rate of x right um Mm -hmm. if they're being paid salary you'll be paid salary your weekly salary is x that that you know just makes it really really simple and easy and i get it you know the employer maybe for their accounting reasons have to say to themselves you know, this position pays 40000 right, in their head. But when we're talking to our employees, first of all, they, they also need to understand that. Um, in, you know, some states, uh, New York, uh, Washington, Colorado, California, you have to tell them what their overtime rate is as well, which is time and a half mm-hmm. by law, right? So, you know, that's that's a differentiator as well here. So for that hourly person, how do you know they're going to make $40,000 a year? You don't know that because right. hourly people only get paid for the hours they work. And another way to state that is they get paid for every hour they work, right? So if they yeah. work 41 hours in a, in a week, they get um, time and a half for that one hour. That's going to push them over 40000 that's a really good point. So I, I understand the desire for a business owner to want to, I like you the way you phrase it, put, do the math for them to make it simple. Yeah. Oh, this is a forty thousand dollar job; they'll be paid <laughs> hourly. But then if they if they work do overtime, it could easily be more than forty. But maybe just as important, if not more important, where they get uh, employers get themselves in trouble. What if what if you offer five days of paid time off, but this person takes ten days off throughout the year? And you don't let them go. You keep them as as an employee because you know a lot of good reasons to do that. And life life happens. But now they're going to work less. You're not paying them for the non worked time above That's and right. beyond their PTO. They're going to make less than forty. But your offer letter said they're going to make forty. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. We can I, give lots of reasons why not. Just don't do it. <laughs> and, and and not to beat a dead horse here, but. The purpose of the offer letter is to set clear expectations in good, crystal clear communication. That doesn't mean you have the sidebar conversation. That's like, okay, this is what the letter says. But between you and me, Mary, what this really means is you're going to get 40 a year. I just had to pay it, break it out in an hourly. Because you could still stand in a a deposition and say, remember on such and such date, Mr. Vinoy, when you told Mary she would make 40, right? Yeah, you're losing. You're losing. You're losing. So, <laughs> yeah. So and we're here to help part, you win. Yeah. So the uh, the guidance here is clear. We understand. We're empathetic to the desire to do the math for folks and help them kind of understand because they may be comparing themselves to other jobs that pay that much per year. They have to do the math on their own. You are, you are really sticking your neck out 
by trying to annualize the number for them. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta say the hourly rate. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, any other don'ts before we jump yeah. into, I really want to spend more time on at will and contract. This does not constitute a contract. Agreed. I have two other things that I just want to point out to employers again. Um, so normally you're sending that offer letter ahead of your onboarding, right? So they get the offer letter and then they come into the office and you do the I-9 and other onboarding paperwork. Um, some of that onboarding paperwork could be, um, so in a lot of states, you cannot ask if they have a felony conviction until you make a conditional offer of employment. So nine out of 10 times, if not all the time, you're gonna make, you're gonna give this offer letter before they have filled out their onboarding paperwork, which makes it a conditional offer of employment. Right. We have had um, employers in a couple of sticky situations. They make the offer of employment, the individual comes in and they cannot satisfy the I-9. Now, if you can't satisfy the I-9, an employer is under no obligation to hire them. Again, that's, it's not, you know, it's not a, um, the conditional offer of employment is not a contract of employment. So no. you're pretty safe in that instance. But now you've wasted a lot of your time, Mike, right? That person has filled out the I-9 or tried to fill out the I-9. They knew they couldn't fill it out, but they got that job offer. So they're like, oh, I got a job. So this should always say this is a conditional offer of employment. Um you need to complete all onboarding paperwork successfully. That felony conviction gets a little stickier. Um, and the reason for this is that um, by law, we can um, deny employment if a felony conviction is directly related to the position. For example, if I'm hiring somebody in a financial position, let's say we're you know, hiring somebody as the CFO um, to an organization and they have a larceny charge, a felony larceny charge, we can say, gee, Mike, since you have that felony charge for larceny and you'll be handling large uh, amounts of money, you know, this position isn't right for you. No. Where it gets a little bit gray is let's say you're hiring a warehouse worker and they have a a felony conviction for manslaughter because they got into a fight at their last warehouse job and beat the guy to death. True story. So don't think I'm, I'm giving you outlandish examples. <laughs> True no. stories. Well, you're in a little bit of a gray area here, right? So make sure that that offer letter says conditional offer of employment and, um, you know, that they need to satisfy the onboarding uh, paperwork successfully. So that's a big one um, for me. Um, How about, so I-9 kind of a no brainer because you can't work without it. Um, right. Maybe, and it'll go state by state when you talk about like criminal backgrounds, thing, things like that. Um, what about contingent for drug testing? What about contingent upon certain skills? Same. If, if, the, if the job that I have is uh, maybe it requires 
need to use uh, Excel in an advanced way. And I can't, I can't, I show up on the job and I, I don't have the skills. Is it, do, I, do I need to be putting those type of qualifications? Where, where does this continuum start and stop? Well, so now you're talking about, you know, performance, right? I'm talking about satisfying onboarding paperwork. So it's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and drug testing would definitely fall into this realm. You know, if we, you know, so when I, I worked for a major bank, um, you had to get drug tested, right? Because everybody um, uh, had to pass the drug test. If you don't pass the drug test, you know, it's pretty important to put that here because people know that they're not going to pass it. <laughs> Sometimes they may still try, right? But, you know, bank, uh, bank tellers, bank, uh, you know, workers uh, are bonded, Right. So to pass that bonding, you have to do you have to do the drug testing. So that would be another conditional, um, you know, onboarding, uh, you know, requirement that they have to pass. Now, when you're talking about Excel, uh, we're splitting hairs here a little bit. Right. That's probably we're not going to find that out day one. We might not find it out day two, day three, day four. And now we're into you still need to put them on a warning notice and you know, um, you know, coach them out. Right. So that's different than your onboarding um, paperwork and requirements. So the way to, so by saying this right, Mary, the way people should be thinking about it, it's perfectly appropriate to put contingent, contingent upon in the offer letter. Right. So Correct. we're not listing annual salaries. We're not annualizing, doing the math. We're listing just the hourly rates. And it's contingent upon, and you list the things that it's contingent upon. And it can't yes. be things that you would learn after they started the job. If, uh, if, if their job requires a certain certification or a state license, uh, certainly I-9, if, if you are on solid ground for drug testing, if you're on solid ground for criminal background, then you list those things, right? Correct. Correct. Perfect. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and, and listen, I'll just say one thing about the Excel. A lot of employers have certain tests that they have employees go through. Um, and you, I just want you to be aware that there are some dangers, right? Because there may be disparate impact for certain right. groups of individuals and you kind of leave yourself liable for discrimination. Um, but if they have to do Excel and you had an Excel test that they took, um, during the, you know, uh, interview process or, you know, their, their very first day, um, then that, you know, could allow you to terminate the person also. But there's all I just have to put like air quotes around that. Like I yeah. would have to work with an employer on that to make sure that there wasn't disparate impact was the test, you know, regulated, et cetera. It, it, it's it's um, it's not as simple as it may seem. I just did uh, a show the other day with our friend Brian um, and there was an employer, it was a staffing agency that uh, they thought that they were just doing extra due diligence because as a staffing company, their reputation was on the line when placing uh, people at their customers for work. Right. Um, and they have had a very diligent I-9 process, but they were asking for additional forms of identification and proof from 
people who are not U.S. citizens, which was probably not okay anyway, but it would have been maybe possibly okay if they did it to everybody, but because they did it different for that group, kind of like a test. It's like, oh, you have a different standard for, for these people. Instead of requiring the minimum requirement for 99, these guys got fined tens of thousands of dollars. Right? Yeah, that's straight up discrimination. So yeah, the and, last and, thing, yeah, no, sorry. I was just going to say, in, in my, and the reason I even bring it up is because like today's topic, it's offer letters. I think people generally give the benefit of the doubt to the employers. They're just trying to do the right thing. And, and they don't they don't realize these sometimes extremely expensive mistakes that, that they make in something as simple as an offer letter. I agree. I agree. That's um, why I hope a lot of people are listening. So the, yeah. the last thing um, that I'd really um, warn employers not to do is to state benefits um, as though, you know, without having a, you know, quantifier that says these benefits may change at any time with or without notice. I have had more employers get burned on that. Some employers give free health insurance mm -hmm. and then decide I can't afford that anymore and they have to change it. You put it in an offer letter without a statement like these may change at any time with or without notice and you're probably paying for those benefits for a while before you can pull them. Right. Yeah. So right. and benefits, you know, covers a lot of things. It's not just your medical benefits. It could state there that you have unlimited PTO. It could state there, you know, um, you get a leave, you get whatever it is. Make sure that you have, you know, a statement that that includes when you're talking about benefits. These benefits may change anytime with or without notice. Important. Yeah. Phrases like uh, your health insurance will it will be free. Maybe right. that's true today, but your premiums rise 75% next year for some. Uh, your risk pool had some major health incidents and all of a sudden your premiums go up can you, and you can't afford it. You're, you're going to be screwed. If you making claims like we offer the top commission rates in the industry. Okay. Maybe that's true. Now, all it takes is one competitor to have a better compensation plan. And now you might be raising commission rates for all your sales force for eternity, right? I mean, 100%. Yeah. Um, cool time to jump into at will employment because I think a lot of people know the yeah. phrase, they don't really know what it means. Yes. So un un unpack it. Just give us a definition first. So, you know, I, so at will employment, and, and I'm stuttering because I've had so many employers um, misunderstand it. So I'm glad that you're asking me for a definition. Yeah. At will employment basically means that I enter into the employment relationship at will. And that means that I can leave at any time for any reason. Likewise, the employer enters into that employment relationship with the employee at will and can terminate that employee at any time. And by law, it says for any reason with or without notice. This is where the employers get hung up, right? So what I need to put, um, you know, my, you know, 
in in red here and have everybody understand is that even though it's an at will relationship, you can't break the law. So you right. can't let go of somebody um, due to a discriminatory reason. So when yeah. I have this conversation with so many employers over time, Mike, um, they'll say to me, but Mary, they're at will. I can let them go anytime I want for any reason. Right. And I'm like, you really misunderstanding the law. This is an individual in four protected categories. My advice is you don't let them go um, on a moment's notice unless it's, um, you know, gross misconduct, which is amount of the time. Uh, and even so, I really want to guide employers on that instance. Yeah. So, and, and there's, there's two sides to this coin in think it's fair or unfair. All you want doesn't, doesn't really matter. This, it, if you're in an, if you're in an at will employment, that means the employer can let you go or the employee can leave on their own. The reality is, the employee has no legal obligation to give you two weeks notice. They really can just leave whenever they want being in that will right. because they're not under a contract. And so there's no teeth to that. And even if you, it does mean, so protect a class or not, if you just choose to terminate employment for this person and maybe you have really good reasons for it and it has nothing to do with them as a human, may have just the business, the role change, whatever the reason, Right. That does not mean you're not going to get sued for wrongful termination. It doesn't mean you're going to you're, you're not going to get audited by the Department of Labor because this person says, well, you owe them overtime. This does not mean that that you're going to not get sued by the EEOC because of the re accusations of the reason why you chose this person. All those things happen all the time, right. which which kind of comes back to what you do and don't put in the offer letter, right? Correct. hundred percent. Very so, misunderstood. Yeah. Um, what's as specific as you reasonably can be? What, what words do we include then in the offer letter about at will employment? Do we, do we have to define it? What that even means to the no. employee? Cause they, they probably don't no. mean what it means. No, no, it's a it's a regulation in most states. There's a couple states that aren't at will. And don't forget, there are some uh, positions which are not at will, such as your union or your civil servant employees are not at in an at will employment relationship. So that wouldn't go in an offer letter for those individuals. Um, but I think you want to keep it short and sweet. This is an at will employment relationship uh, and this offer letter should not be misconstrued as a contract of employment. Short and sweet and simple because you don't want it to come off too negative either, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I don't like when- So you um, and civil servants, there are excluded categories. Are correct. there excluded states? Because I've heard employers throw the, the, throw the term around, oh, this is an at-will employment state. Is there, are there non-at-will employment states? There are. I can't come up with them off the top of my head. Okay. I think I know, but I don't want to say it Say yeah. it here. We can always send it to everybody. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to say is I, when you say define it, I have seen the description that I just gave in an offer letter, and it really comes off negative, 
right? You can be, you can leave anytime. What that will means is you can leave at any time and we can terminate you at any time. I'm not sure I want to read that in an offer letter, you know? So I I wouldn't define it. It's a regulation. If they want to look it up, they can look it up or they can ask, you know, the organization to explain it. But don't forget, you know, this is why you use, you know, a professional to help you with these offer letters so that somebody can explain it um, intelligently. That not I just guess I've had a hard time with this th- throughout my career. I mean, earlier in my career, especially, I would just and, and had a business partner that was just wanted everything so it felt so legalistic um, that I'm like, this is our this is a new employee. We're in, we're in, we're welcoming them into the family and the culture, and I wanted much. more flowery language and welcoming language and inclusive and, and making them feel good. Um, I think I've just kind of come to learn over the years, my partner, while perhaps a bit too black and white was, was, was right. The, the purpose of this really is to set these kinds of legal expectations. It's not the document where you're setting cultural expectations. That's a fair separation, right? Right. I mean, listen, I have a couple suggestions that I would add to an offer letter. And I think it's nice to have a culture defining statement, you know, maybe your mission statement, maybe your vision statement, um, you know, here to shore, you know, we say welcome to one ashore um, and, you know, make sure that everybody knows that we work as a team. And I love that. But that's short and sweet. We're not going to put a novel here. We don't want this to be a novel. We want it to be, you know, one to two pages tops. So, you know, I wouldn't mind having, you know, your nice marketing statement uh, um, on an offer letter <coughs> to add, you know, a culture piece to it. I just wouldn't make it too long or, or you know, make it up on the fly kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I think where, where I've landed, I'd be curious for your thoughts. I think we're in alignment Set expectations of culture through the interview process and through the selection process. Let them let them let them experience your culture by through your interactions, written face to face on the phone, you and others in the organization. And then on day one, when you do orientation, you should do orientation. That's another one of the best practices uh, that the the, uh, benchmark survey reveals. That's when you start talking about culture. Allow this thing to be really small, narrow scope uh, that really is a bit more legalistic. It is crisp, clear expectation setting, but it is not an all-encompassing like an employee handbook might be to talk about our mission, vision, values, culture, and welcome to the family kind of stuff. Right. And and you probably, in most instances, have already sent them the employee handbook or you're sending it with the offer letter or as soon as they sign it. So they're going to get that handbook with, you know, more of that information. You're absolutely right. I agree. Okay. So let's, so we talked about at will, we talked about uh, spent a lot of time on annual pay versus hourly and how to handle that. We talked about at will employment, which then leads into this whole contract. What, what does it even mean to be a contract employee? Because you can still be a W-2 at being a contract. I think sometimes people are confused. Oh, contract, that's a 1099 versus a, a W-2. That that means at will. Can, can you paint a picture for 
what types of jobs you may be a contract, ha have an employment contract and still be a W-2 employee. Yeah, thank you for that differentiator. Um, so you wanna say, why would they get an employment contract? As I said before, that's normally for your C-suite individuals. You wanna keep them and give them a reason to stay with you. Um, so that employment contract is gonna have more legalese. It is um, going to be a legal document, right? Um, so I think in most cases, it's usually reserved for your CFO, CEO, um, CMO. Um, so for, for your um, C-suite individuals, um, yeah. you don't see it a lot in the US, except for those positions where obviously abroad, not that you know we're talking about abroad, but it's very, um, very uh, widely used in, in Europe. But it, right. it is pretty rarely used in the U.S. and that should be a legal document. And my recommendation is to have an attorney draw it up. Yeah. So let's just parking lot that for if you're an employer and you're considering doing it, get, you should get an attorney. And the person who you're hiring, they should also get their own representation in that situation. And why, why might you do that? Well, let's say you're companies in in trouble and you gotta maybe maybe you're maybe you need a senior leader to come in to fix a serious problem is going to take a while and they're going to have to fight through some fights and they're going to have to have the endurance to stick around and so maybe you have a carrot dangling out at the end to make sure that, that you retain them through that period and that they're rewarded for fixing the problems that you give them to fix those are the kind of situations that employment contract might make sense probably never the case for the average employee, especially in small business, right? Yeah, yeah. agreed. Okay. So let's put a, put a nail in this, in this thing then. So the goal of making it clear it's at-will employment, this does not represent a contract in case it's not self-evident. Why is that so important then? Was that a question? Yeah. I, like I, a statement. <laughs> it is important. You know, I think I think we I think we made that pretty clear, um, you know, that that you just want to put that at will statement in there. It's important. Um, you don't want to put term, um, you know, you, you don't want to say anything about how or when they'll be terminated. I think that that's super, super negative. And, and so I, I may be just being too obtuse here. I, I actually think it's not super clear to everybody. You and I live this every day. So I think we just kind of define what kind of jobs actually get employment contracts and why uh, some an employer may offer someone an employment contract. And the guidance here is you stating that this is an at-will employment and does not imply a contract means that they should have no expectation because I think a lot of employees won't have any idea what at will means. They won't have any idea what an employment contract means. So this is just a, and forgive me again, if I'm just being, if I'm overstating the obvious, it is the employer's way of making it crystal clear. I'm not giving you a contract here. There's no expectation for ongoing employment in, in, in what that entails. Right. Correct. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Let's pivot to, you've got a pretty good list uh, of things, essential information that we should include. So we talked about the don'ts. Let's talk about the do's. 
So you, you want to include their job title and you want to include their job duties. But look, you can attach their job description, which is, I think, a good idea. But don't take up your offer letter to list all of their job duties. You might just want to say, you know, you know, CMO, you know, uh, overseeing all of the marketing within the organization. Short and sweet. Again, this isn't a novel. Very, very often I will attach a job description to an offer letter. So um, don't get crazy with this. And also, if you're listing the job duties and you choose not to attach that job description, make sure that you, if you're listing job duties, which I'm not recommending, I'm recommending a short sentence, but if you said, Mary, I'm not going to listen to you and I'm going to list some job duties, make sure that you also say, and other duties as needed or as necessary or as assigned, right? You never want somebody to go, my offer letter says, I'm only going to answer the phone and send out mail, right? A job description needs that on it. So does the offer letter if you're going to add job duties. Um, we had yeah. already said that you should add that classification. So you should say whether they're exempt, whether they're non-exempt, and are they part-time, full-time, seasonal, etc. And other, other, we have other one-hour shows on those topics. Hop on, the, hop on our website to, to figure those out. But yep. that's FLSA, Fair Labor Standards Act. Those are requirements that you must do. So no reason to not put them in your offer letter. Okay, Agreed. what else? I would put the work schedule. Um, just also understand, it's funny, because sometimes um, someone I'm interviewing is asking me that, and I'm usually interviewing for exempt positions. So I'm not used to a work schedule because we're remote, but it does help to say your work schedule is approximately. Now, if they're coming into the office, you probably have a work schedule. Um, and I think here also, depending on the position, if you think that that, that schedule may change a little bit or it does change a lot and you know that, please put, you know, um, you know, may vary from time to time, you know, et cetera. Because if you tell somebody nine to five in this offer letter, you know, it just, it creates bad blood. They're going to, you know, arrange their, you know, kids schedule or their workout schedule or whatever it is around these hours. Let them know if it's going to change or may change. For my money, I would always put may vary from time to time. Yeah. Um, so that people don't say, well, you said it was nine to five. I can't come in before nine. And Even you have a if it's never going. changed in your company's history, you might have a business requirement that changes it tomorrow that you don't know about. So Right, right, exactly. Right. So um, I think that's good. We talked about the compensation being included here. What we didn't talk about more specifically is if they have a bonus. Um, so let me let me separate bonus from commission. So yeah. if there's a bonus included, mm, ha, I just want to really warn employers, a bonus in most cases wouldn't be guaranteed. There's usually KPIs, uh, key performance indicators that that bonus is tied to. A lot of times that bonus can be tied to individual or department or organizational goals being met. 
and I would try to be as clear as possible. You could even say a bonus will be given based on KPIs um, to be discussed in a separate document, etc. But just be careful that you don't say in a bonus of $10,000. Again, budgets change all the time. That might be taken away. Uh, if that's based on KPIs, you can't really say it's a $10,000 bonus because if they don't meet their performance requirements, they're not going to get that bonus. So that's a bonus. I would be very careful uh, about stating that. Um, personally, I would state it as there's a, a bonus available based on um, achieving your KPIs. Mary, I've always kind of taken the, the approach there, the same what you described earlier around job description. You maybe you you acknowledge that there is a potential bonus commission, variable compensation uh, that you're eligible eligible to participate in the company's plan, and maybe you attach that, maybe you don't, because maybe it changes every year, maybe it isn't developed yet, but you acknowledge that they're eligible for it in the offer letter but you make the details of that be a completely separate document. Is, is that a good way yeah, to think about it? Absolutely. But I'm going to separate commission because there's a lot of laws and regulations about commission that is different than bonus. That's so smart. when okay. we talk about commission, it is different and we can have a whole seminar. We could do an hour on, you know, uh, compensation, but, in short, um, because we're, we're wrapping up here, if you have an individual on commission, I would have a legal document that is their commission agreement. First of all, it is a contract. So we just told you to state that this is not a contract. No. <laughs> um, to add all the information about their commission within this offer letter does not make any sense. Um, and that commission agreement is a legal document. Many states regulate that you have to have a commission agreement by law. Um, but even if they don't, here's what I'm going to tell you. Worked, you know, supporting a, um, a freight forwarder. They had a commission plan, never put it in writing. And when I joined, I said, we're getting this in writing. But before I could get it in writing, an individual left, went to an attorney and said, I brought in all these deals. Yeah, I might not be there anymore, but they need to give me that money. And they had to give those commissions, even though this individual resigned. Um, right. And that should be part of your commission agreement. What happens when you leave? Um, what do you get, et cetera? And again, we're not here to discuss that because we're almost almost at time and we could do a whole hour on that. But very important that that bonus information, commission information is in a separate document uh, enumerated very specifically. Got it. Super what else? Mary? What frequency else? Of, okay. Yes. Frequency of pay is important. So just remember, employers, again, this is why you want to work with professionals, is that your non-exempt people, even exempt people in certain states and more importantly, in, in certain industries, there will be a mandate of when they get paid. So for uh, your manual laborers, most states or many, many states will mandate that those manual labor individuals, your construction workers, et cetera, 
uh, manufacturing as well are paid weekly. So you should include the frequency of pay, but I, I wanna tell you that you need to research that and make sure that you're compliant. We already talked about benefits being in here yeah. and sort of yeah. some air quotes around that. Um, and I would certainly put the you know expected start date. We talked about this is a conditional offer of employment. Here's the things you have to pass. You're going to get go through, you know, a criminal background check. If there's going to be drug testing, if there's going to be references, uh, proof of eligibility to work in the U.S. Um, like you said, a lot of organizations will mandate that you have a certification or. Uh, you know, some kind of degree, et cetera. So what I would inclu include that in the offer letter as well. Again, we don't want a novel, but these things are important to include. Mary, in our last few minutes, maybe what, what kind of guidance would you give? So I, I think we did, you did a good job covering what not to include, why we should have an offer letter, what not to include in a good laundry list of things to include. We'll, we'll include this in the show notes uh, for everybody afterwards as well. So you can hop on the internet and uh, on our website and see it all. Um, I have seen more candidates that have verbally accepted an offer in between the date that they accepted the offer and their start date, no, either no show or back out saying, oh, I've accepted something else. I've seen more of that in the last 12 months than I have the previous 12 years. Yes. So yes. There's, there's a sea change happening here. What, what's your guidance to folks? after delivering the offer letter and they haven't started yet? Well, you want to give them reasonable time to sign that offer letter. And by the way, just because they sign it doesn't mean they have to start with you. Um, right. But, you know, I would. Because it's not an employment contract. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, listen, they don't start for two weeks. I make it a point to, you know, tell employers, you know, when we're working on their strategic you know, onboarding process, which includes, you know, this offer letter, you know, I make a point to tell them, hey, you need to reach out to that candidate, um, you know, every couple of days, you know, give, you know, once they sign that offer letter, that doesn't mean stop reaching out to them for the next two or three weeks when they start with 100%. you. You want to keep you know, reaching out to them, you know, again, let them know that you want them to work for you, right? And make yourself available for questions. Maybe that could make the difference between them just not showing up and taking that other position, right? If you go radio silent for two or three weeks before they start, they go on another interview and that person is more, you know, communicative to them. Maybe right. they take, maybe that's what makes the difference and they take that position. But, you know, I just, I just would, you know, make yourself available um, and communicate with them. Can't wait for you to start. I couldn't possibly agree more. If you think about it, if they're a good candidate, they have options and you're not the right. only, you're not the only game in town that they've been interviewing with and you get the offer. They, they accept it. Maybe they sign it. Maybe it's verbal, whatever. Do you really think that if you thought they were awesome, do you really think the other places also didn't think they're awesome? They're continuing to call on them, right? Right. So you get that. I mean, find an excuse a day. It's like, hey, saw this article and thought of you. Can't wait to see for you to make an impact here. Uh, hey, uh, uh, just just wanted to see. Why don't you just send you a picture of your new desk? 
what color, oh, mug, what color mug do you want? I mean, find anything, an excuse, <laughs> a reason to, to keep contact. Make yourself hard to say no to if a better right. offer does come in between your offer and their start date. I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. All right, Mary. Uh, I think we're at time. Ed, any any closing arguments that you want to make advocating for why people should be doing it, what to include, not include? Listen, I think it is the professional thing to do and it sets expectations, but please get some guidance on that offer letter. Cause I think our list of don'ts was longer than our list of what you should include. So yeah, it, I don't and, want you to get in trouble. And obviously the, the, the purpose of this show is always to add value, whether somebody does or does not choose to do business with us. This is obviously what you and your team does. Um, I, I will say, this is one of those areas that I think people can overly rely on Google and ChatGPT because it can crank out an offer letter, but it doesn't mean it's going to be right or even, and I hate to use the word legal because there's not such thing as an illegal, but there are best practices to include and not include, which we just reviewed. And unless you're an employment attorney or a SHRM certified HR professional, how would you know this offer letter that you pulled off the internet is actually sets you up to succeed or could in fact set you up to fail because you're not qualified to audit it. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So, so whether it's us or somebody else do get help and get a professional's opinion, but uh, be, be sending offer letters and follow the best practices. Mary, thanks for your time. And thanks for thanks, everybody else for joining us today until next week. At Assure, we build human capital management software and services that help 90,000 companies like yours attract, develop, and retain great people. Our low upfront costs and affordable subscription model allow you to save cash to invest in things that drive growth, not overhead. To learn more about how Assure can help you claim up to $26,000 per employee with the Employee Retention Tax Credit, automate your payroll, and build productive teams that are compliant with ever-changing HR laws. Visit AssureSoftware.com.